We here at Michael Hyatt and Company hope your 2021 is off to a great start. In the spirit of new beginnings, we're taking a few weeks to reimagine Lead to Win, and today we want you to enjoy one of our most listened to episodes. We'll be back with all new content soon. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And today we're going to be talking about a problem that afflicts a lot of leaders, at least a lot of leaders I know. They feel like they should read more, but they just don't want to. Okay, so we're going to take a little trip to the honest planet. (laughs) As you know, I have a new baby, my youngest of five kids. I'm fully back at work after my uh, parental leave last summer, all that. I am struggling with reading right now. And here's the thing. I kind of feel like my out of work time happens in like 15 minute increments. You know, the the longest increment is my morning walk, which is, you know, like 30 minutes. But other than that, it's just like these little 15 minute bursts. And I feel I actually really enjoy reading. I have a whole stack of books that is my 2020 reading list. But When I kind of get down to it, I feel like I don't have time and I'm not sure I want to read because like it's this huge thing in my mind that I've got to sit down in my reading chair with my coffee and I've got to have, you know, my uh, various colors for writing or maybe my favorite pencil, you know, to take notes. And let me be honest with you, that is not happening. I'm just happy if, you know, I can take a shower and brush my teeth again in a 15 minute increment without being interrupted. Well, here's the good news. You're not alone. Because I had a feeling that was true. I know so many leaders just like that. They feel like reading is this big chore. It feels like they're back in school again. They got to take copious notes. They've got to retain everything they read. Like study. Right, because there's going to be a study. test. There's yeah. going to be a pop test. And if somebody asks them if they read the book, the next question they're going to ask, well, what did you learn? And they want to be able to regurgitate it. And so then it's kind of like this all or nothing thing where if I can't do academic level study, then I'm just not even going to try. Well, today I've got good news. We're going to solve that problem by showing you four ways to read that'll make reading fun again. Well, and I'm so excited. Yeah, we really mean that. But we got to bring on Larry because Larry's the man, man right, who leads us through this discussion every week, and thank God he does, because we would just meander, you know, tiptoe through the tulips and never get anywhere. So, Larry, guide us. Larry. It, yeah. And as Megan said, that is the honest planet, friends. <laughs> 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 well, Michael, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to ask you, Megan, because you've already said this is a time when you're really struggling mm-hmm. with reading. But, Michael, I know you read a lot of books. I think people would like to know about how many books do you read in a given year? And then I have a follow-up question. Well, not as many as you think and not as many as I have in years past, but I would probably read 35. I think I read 35 books this last year. Okay. But uh, there's been times when I've read 50 or more. Not as many as my friend Skip Pritchard, who reads 365 books a year. Okay. Oh, my word. Actually, he reads more than that. Skip. Yeah, that's he's, crazy town. He told me like two years ago, I asked him and, and he read over 500 books. And at first, I didn't believe it when he told me that until I started to quiz him on some books that I'd read. And it was clear that he had read it and, and had a lot wow. of comprehension around it. Well, I think 35 is a great number. That's a lot of reading. And I know that's not the only reading you must do. Because How many did you read? Well, uh, the last couple of years, I've just made it a, a goal to read 
a book a week or 52 books in a year. And I've done that for two years. But prior to that, it was probably in the low 30s. Yeah. Okay. My goal for this year is to read 20 books. So if you're listening to this and you're like, these guys are crazy, there's no way I'm going to do that. Just come to my side. <laughs> okay. It's okay. There are different seasons of life. I, I have to be a little bit honest about this too, because I don't actually read hardly anything. I'm listening. I use a lot of audiobooks as well. Yeah. Well, my next question for you was, uh, that's a lot of reading. Clearly, you spend a lot of time reading or listening to books. Uh, do you enjoy it, or is it something you do because you think it's just part of being a leader? I would say a little bit of both, and like a lot of things, you know, reading is an acquired taste. The more you do it, the better you get at it, the more you start enjoying it, right? I mean, there's some foods that I enjoy now that when I first tasted them as a kid, I was like, yuck, I don't enjoy that. Like, like for, for example, sardines. You know, the first time I ever ate sardines, I thought those are horrible. Now, I love them, especially Joel's sardines that he cooks on the grill. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm still not there with you. <laughs> <laughs> Joel's Megan's husband. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that people feel like they're going to have to be grilled for a test or something. And... I've often felt that way. So one of the reasons I take notes when I'm reading a book is like, wow, I'm going to have to cough up an answer at the end of this. That reading for retention, I just think it's pretty well ingrained in most of us. Anybody who certainly had uh, the privilege of going to college, because you know you're going to be tested. And it's all about comprehension and retention, right? Yeah. That's what you get tested. Right. Those are two reasons that I totally do not read for. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode and why I feel like I'm so liberated when it comes to reading and why I enjoy reading so much is because I'm not reading for retention. I'm not even reading for comprehension so much, but I'm reading for four other reasons, which is what we're going to dive into. So let's get to purpose number one, stimulation. This is my favorite reason for reading and probably the thing that I most get out of reading, um, which is that it's the raw material for your thinking. You know, there are new frameworks that you get in books that challenge your thinking or your understanding or your opinions, which is great. You know, you just have like that outside input, which is so helpful. Um, so often we kind of get like stuck in our opinions and don't really reevaluate them. But when we take in outside information, outside stimulus, then we're able to think about that in a different way. And I think that's so helpful. I do too. And and a lot of people aspire to be a thought leader. And I'm just going to say, you can't be a thought leader unless you're reading other books, mm -hmm. because that is the raw material for thinking. And you have to acquaint yourself with, expose yourself to other people's thoughts, other people's frameworks, other people's perspectives, other people's stories. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I love to read history. I love to read biography. Those are two of my favorite genres because they provide so much raw material for observing life and for distilling from life the kind of frameworks, the kind of principles. I mean, much of what I share here is because I've been reading and exposing myself to stuff. Mm -hmm. So like we, Larry and I were talking about the fact that we love audiobooks, and I'm always listening to audiobooks, particularly at the gym. Mm -hmm. And I may get a thought that's completely out of left field, that's completely unrelated to what I was listening to. Okay, so has this ever happened to you? I know it has because we've talked about it. But you're you're exercising, and there's something about consuming stimulating new ideas while your body's moving and yes. blood is flowing, and your brain is being you know enriched by all that blood flow that 
you're all of a sudden you realize you're not even listening to the book anymore. You can't remember where you stopped listening, but you're in this other train of thought and you're having some kind of just explosion in your brain about all these new ideas. That's right. And so like that makes the book valuable whether you finish it or not. Right. I mean, in fact, I've had it happen. You and I often are exercising at the same time of the day. So like I'll be on a walk, you'll be at the gym and I'll be five minutes into some book I'm listening to or maybe 10 minutes and I'll have that little like brainstorm thing happen and I'll call you and you're on your AMT machine or whatever it's called. I'm doing That's my it. hand motions right now. And and I'm out, you know, walking in my neighborhood and I'm like, oh, we got to talk about this thing. What if we, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's just a super fun, spontaneous sharing of ideas, all because we were stimulated or one of us was stimulated by something we read. Exactly. You know how I can tell when that's happening to me? How's that? I start walking faster. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm listening to an audio book on my walk, and I, I start getting a little out of breath because mm-hmm. <laughs> it gets your blood flowing, right. and you want to begin to act on those ideas. It's Does really it ever happen to you when you're when you're stimulated like that, and you get another idea, or for sometimes for me, it's like a spontaneous framework will appear, you know, an acronym or something that'll kind of distill the whole thing, and I'll have to open a note in Evernote mm-hmm. on my phone. And I'll have to dictate it because I don't want to lose it. And all that was because I was stimulated by what I was reading, which may or may not have been related to what I was, uh, the idea that I came up with. This is a sidebar, but you need a workflow for capturing ideas, especially if you consider yourself a thought leader, you aspire to be a thought leader, or you're a content provider. You're going to have lots of thoughts, particularly as you read, and you want to be able to capture those and not lose them. Otherwise, the whole effort is, is worthless. So if you're using an iPad, and this won't work for you if you're out exercising generally, unless you're on a treadmill or something and use an iPad, but if you touch it when it's got the screensaver on with the Apple Pencil, it will open to a blank page in Apple Notes. That's really cool. That is cool. That won't work on your iPhone, so you need another workflow for it. And so for me, what I do is I just do Evernote. You know, that's the easiest thing for me. And I just open a new note and I dictate into it. I don't try to write it or type it, but I just dictate into it, capture it. Then when I get back to the house, then I transcribe it. Or, you know, hopefully I've transcribed it with Siri, but I've captured it so that I can use it later. Well, this point stimulation, it's a little bit like sometimes when you go to a conference, um, people will say, was the conference good? What did you get from it? And you start talking about something not exactly the content of the conference, but it it gave me an idea I want to apply when I get home. Yes. And it just opens up a new world to you. So stimulation, the first purpose in reading. Well, let's get to purpose two for reading, which is assimilation. Now, what's the difference between these two? So assimilation is when you get the opportunity or take the opportunity to wed somebody's ideas to your own. I mean, there in, the, in a sense, there's no such, such thing as original thinking. Uh, all of our thinking is derivative. You know, we're taking somebody's ideas, we're improving upon them, we're modifying them in some way. I don't care. This is why I don't care about retention. I'm not interested in just parroting somebody else's ideas. I want their ideas, their thinking to impact my own. And I want to discover nuances and distinctions that I haven't seen. And oftentimes that comes through the stimulation, but it leads to assimilating that into my own thinking. And I come up with a different take, a different configuration, a different perspective than I than I had before. Now, reading should change us. Well, there are a lot of times when you have uh, maybe a partial thought about something, maybe in your business, 
but you're just missing a couple pieces. And when you read the right thing, it kind of fills in the gaps. And then all of a sudden you have a complete thought that becomes actionable that then changes your behavior or your attitude or your strategy in some way that's meaningful. And you couldn't have gotten there on your own. You know, you just had this missing link that you needed to fill in. That's kind of the beauty of lateral thinking. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. So you you might be reading a book on, you know, a, a history of, like I was reading recently, uh, history of psychotherapy. Hmm. And just that model gave me an insight in a completely unrelated field, but just the way that it was structured and the flow of it helped me to see something in a completely unrelated field. I don't even remember what it was right now, but that's assimilation when we're doing that kind of thing. But part of it may be that the reading impacts our attitudes. That may be what needs to change. Our behavior may need to change. Uh, We discover new ways of accomplishing tasks. We may want to start doing something, stop doing something, but that's taking it in. And that's really assimilation. We're taking it in, combining it with the raw material of our own thinking and coming up with something uh, that's different. Well, interestingly, the National Institutes of Health agrees with you, Michael. Oh, good. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They have published a study that demonstrated that reading a book-length argument combined with discussion on the subject of the book, can produce durable changes in attitude. Well, that's really why we've created leader books. You know, that it's one thing to read alone. It's another thing to have the benefit of a community to read books um, among. And when you do that, it's kind of like you multiply the power of reading. So if if you're not a member of leader books already, that is our online community that we provide a curated reading list, along with the community and discussion opportunities for you to go deeper in the material and with your peers. Um, And as you said, you really get even more benefit that way. So a question for both of you, what book recently has changed an attitude or behavior of yours? Well, um, I am in the middle of reading Nancy Duarte's data story right now. I actually started it before the end of last year, and I'm picking it back up again. And she just talks about how to prepare data. This sounds so boring, but it's really not. How to prepare data internally for internal presentations in a way that tells a story that's ultimately persuasive and compelling. And the thing that we normally think is, well, you know, data is boring, data is hard, data is not interesting to most people or relevant to most people. But the truth is, you can illustrate so many things if you just know how to present it. Um, and and that's a, a powerful skill and a powerful tool to have. So I'm loving that book. And it's really changing how I'm thinking about how I want to present things, particularly um, to our executive and leadership teams and how I want them to present things back to us. For me, I've been doing a lot of reading around coaching because it's my favorite thing to do. And it's the most important thing I do, I think, in our companies is coaching our clients. And so I'm reading a book called Becoming a Professional Life Coach. This is by Patrick Williams and Diane Menendez. And the thing that I'm gaining from it, I know Megan's reading it too, but uh, in fact, I sent copies to all of our senior leadership, but it's really helping me in learning how to listen And to be much more effective as a coach, not by telling people what to do, but by helping them discover the insights that they already have and maybe didn't know. Okay, so we've mentioned listening to audiobooks. Michael, what what equipment do you use? What apps do you use to listen to audiobooks? I mostly use cassette tapes. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. That's actually how I started, believe it or not. Like uh, back in the 90s, books were read on cassette tapes and you can get them from a lending library. 
And I had a really long commute. This was back, Megan, when we lived in Giles County. And I would have like 45-minute commute into work. And so I would listen to these cassette tapes over, you know, just all That's the time. That's hilarious. But, uh, but yeah, I use an app called Audible. And Audible is phenomenal. I've been a member for years and years and years. But here's what I love about it. Uh, it allows you to listen at faster than the normal speed. And so I, I remember Jeff Goins talking about one time he listens at three times speed. Oh, my gosh. Like, I can't do that. Like, that makes my head explode. But I listen typically at about one and a half times. Do you guys use that app? I do use it and I really enjoy it. Um, one of the things I've found though, is it depends on what kind of book I'm reading. So a couple of books I read last year were Michelle Obama's book that was so great, uh, Becoming, and then um, Melinda Gates' book, The Moment of Lift, both of which I listened to on Audible. They were, you know, that was a great way to listen to them. Then right now I'm reading a book called Stubborn Attachments by Tyler Cowen, who's an economist. That is a kind of tedious, dense book with a, a pretty complex argument. And because I'm listening to this, like I said earlier, in you know 15-minute increments or 30-minute increments, it's difficult for me to keep up with the argument. So I think it depends on the, the type of book it is, how dense it is, what the subject matter is, because sometimes audiobooks are not a great way to listen. Another example would be a book um, like Data Story that I mentioned a minute ago that has a lot of diagrams and visuals in it. If you're listening to a book, of course, you can't see the visuals. And so you, you at least need the companion hard copy so that you can see those visuals. I do use the Audible app as well, and I like it for the same reason. Um, I haven't gotten to three times, but I have had it over two times wow. the normal speed, depending on the book, because some of the narrators read really slow. That's true. So you yeah. can go one and a half or one and three quarter times, and it almost sounds normal yeah. uh, compared to, say, radio voice or mm -hmm. something. But I, I like to listen to them faster. And unlike you, Megan, I tend to listen to audiobooks when I have an extended yeah, time. Right. Uh, usually an hour or mm -hmm. so, sometimes more, because when I'm in the car, sometimes it's for five hours at a time. So I look for a, a book that is a 10-hour audiobook, and I can finish it That's great. on one drive. I kind of wish in a way that I had that kind of commute, because literally you're commuting here to Nashville because you don't live here. You live in Indiana. So that's, you know, I kind of wish I had that sometimes because I could just think of all the, the books that I could Me too. I miss that. I mean, I love not commuting, but you and I both live just blocks away from our office. Yeah. So I miss, I miss that opportunity. The other thing too, do you, do you ever do this? Do you ever use the WhisperSync thing where you buy the Kindle edition plus the Audible edition? And essentially it will highlight the words in the Kindle edition as the Audible uh, narrator is re, uh, oh, reading it. I didn't even know about that. Oh yeah. It's very I have used that and it, it'll save your place in either one. So I'm in the car, I put it on the Audible app and I'm listening and then I get home and, and pick up the ebook and I can go right to the same place and continue cool. reading. Now, I don't do that much because I don't use ebooks yeah. very much at all. Okay, I want to talk about this for just a second because this is kind of related to this and that's whether we should do ebooks or physical books. So like I, a few years ago, I wrote a big thing about how I was giving up ebooks and going to physical books. And I just have to confess before God and these assembled witnesses <laughs> that I have gone back to ebooks and I have to say I love ebooks. Really? Yeah. Now, do you read ebooks no. in all genres or just put certain types of books? I would say all genres. And I'll tell you why. Because I have... I am completely out of space in my house for physical books. And when I bring in physical books into the house, 
uh, my wife gives me a lecture and she makes me take him back to my office and there's no place in my office to put him. But the thing about Kindle that I love, and I sound like I'm a you know an evangelist for Amazon, I'm not. But the thing about Kindle I love, that I can have thousands of books on one device. They're always with me when I travel, whatever. I mean, we go on a trip and... Megan, your mother, you know this about your mother. She loves her physical books. Right. So she like has an entire dedicated suitcase when we go on a trip that's nothing but her books. My husband Joel's the same way. And here's what's funny. He's like a super minimalist packer. Like he always wants to get a week's worth of clothes in, you know, like a tiny duffel bag. You know, like we have luggage, but it doesn't matter. He doesn't want to use the luggage. He needs it in a small. That's for books. That's for books. <laughs> I mean, really, the clothes take up at least half the space or not even half the space that the books do. But There's here's probably the other thing 10 books every, every vacation. But here's the other thing I love about Kindle. I love the highlighting feature. Hmm. I love the searchability of it. You know, and again, I like that I can always have my entire library with me wherever I'm, wherever I'm at. Larry, are you a physical books person? I am a physical and audiobooks person. Uh, my ebook reading has dropped off over the last five years, which just as ebook uh, sales have plateaued and declined over the last few yes. years. Mm -hmm. I do like reading on, on the e-format for fiction sometimes. Huh. Okay. I don't like it for uh, nonfiction books because I like to skim and flip pages to see where I am in the book, and the e-platforms haven't quite caught up to that. So purpose number one for reading, stimulation. Purpose two, assimilation. Let's talk about purpose three, innovation. This is a big one. Um, the truth is that creativity does not just happen. I mean, most of us are not spontaneously having this flash of inspiration um, without something that creates an, an innovative moment. And so it usually starts with an outside influence. It could be a thought or an idea or even a part of a larger concept. But reading lets us get out of the constraints of our own mind and our own thinking and have access to something much bigger. And, you know, innovation right now is critically important. The world is moving at lightning speed. And as leaders in our businesses, we have to be constantly innovating. In fact, that may be one of the most compelling reasons to read. You know, the pressure of innovation is like never before. And we just don't have enough of our own thoughts to get us there. We need that outside input. Well, if you think of the people that you would regard as real innovators, you know, those people by and large are readers. The most innovative people I know are people that are readers. I mean, just to name one name, Bill Gates, you know, he's renowned for his reading habits. And He's very innovative. I mean, you look at the things that he's doing now post-Microsoft in terms of the world, the, the impact he's having on the world through his foundation, phenomenal. That innovation doesn't just happen because he's a genius, and he is, but it's because he's exposing himself to lots and lots of books. What types of genres do you read? Obviously, you read your fair share of business books. What else? I stay really between business books and psychology, and then probably kind of a distant third would be something related to aesthetics, you know, something around design or art or something like that. I struggle with fiction, you know, true, true story, honest planet moment number two. <laughs> I really struggle with that. Um, if I'm on vacation, I like to read fiction, but I, I don't know. I just have a hard I, time with it. I do too. But every time I read a novel, I think, 
I need more of this in my life. You know but what I think it is? I, think I know what it is for me. I feel like it's hard to know what to read. I feel like with business books or nonfiction books, it's very clear what the proposition is. You know, do I need that? Does that sound helpful or not? Um, it's, it, you know what you're going to get out of it. Well, Fiction is like, yeah. I don't know yet, you know? I, I, I There's one little hack to that, to the extent that I read fiction. I tend to go with what's on the bestseller list because sure. I feel like it's right. been kind of crowdsourced. Right. The cream has risen to the top and I'm going to go with that. I'll sometimes ask on Facebook or Instagram for recommendations. Yeah. And there's some writers, you know, some fiction writers that I really love, like Stephen King, you know, would be one of my favorites. But I tend to read uh, business books, of course. History. I love history. I like current events. Mm-hmm. You know, I like um, biography, especially biography. You know, I think there's so much to learn out of those, but I don't read as much fiction as I would like. Could be a goal for next year. Well, let's move to purpose number four in reading, which is dissemination. Yeah, I feel like in some ways I'm a forager for my tribe. In other words, part of my job is to go out there as a thought leader, you know, if I can use that term, and as somebody who's uh, an influencer, another term I don't really like, but but I am, and you are too, Megan and Larry, and all of us have influence, whether we realize it or not. But I feel the need to go out there and kind of be a hunter-gatherer to gather up stuff that I can share with other people. And I like to be able to walk into meeting a meeting and have something to contribute, you know, or a cocktail party and be able to talk about something besides gossip or office politics. I mean, we don't believe in that anyway, but I want to talk about the world of ideas. And there are some people that, I think we got this distinction from Dan Sullivan originally. He said, you know, some people talk about, you know, just the events that are happening and some people talk about the worlds of ideas and some people are aware of their own thinking or talking about their own thinking. But I think it's important to be able to have something to disseminate, something to share with other people. That's one of the reasons I like to read history and biography, as you mentioned, because you learn so much about the world and about today by seeing where we've come from and things that have happened before. And often you'll find a writer who puts a perspective on history that is totally new to you. Well, I think it's powerful when you're listening to a speaker, especially, and they can cite some historical reference or tell some story from history that's so compelling and opens up a new world or a new idea to you. I, I think of, you know, people that are popular tellers of history like Andy Andrews, you know, or even our local person who's written on the Civil War, uh, Robert Hicks, you know, and he takes a lot of license with it. And a lot of people that write historical fiction do, but boy, I'm just totally compelled by that. I have one more question for you before we bring this episode to a close. What is the best book you've read lately? So one of the best books that I've read lately is called Family Wealth. And this is a book recommendation, Dad, that you gave me that was actually from our financial advisor. And the thing that I love about it, it's kind of all about a multi-generational perspective on wealth, wealth transfer and all that, which may sound, you know, sort of boring. But what I particularly loved about it was the thinking that wealth is a lot more than financial resources, that there are various kinds of wealth and some of the most important wealth that you pass on to your children and grandchildren, great grandchildren and so on is uh, your, your social abilities, you know, your intellectual abilities, things like that, that are really going to enable success in a way that financial resources on their own 
can't, you know? Um, and it gave me a vision as I think about my kids and just into the future, how I want to think about those things, particularly stewardship, how I want to empower them and raise them to be good stewards and the responsibility of that and the impact that as a family, multi-generationally that we could have in the world, um, is just way bigger than what I even had a concept to imagine. I think it's a great illustration of the points that we've talked about today. This is a book that I'm currently reading, almost done with it, but it's by Steven Pinker called Enlightenment Now, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress. And it's really challenging because we don't share the basic, the same basic worldview, but it's really stretched my thinking. And especially in terms of the idea of progress and whether or not we can be optimistic about the future based on what's happening now. And much of that I agree with. But kind of the philosophical roots that he that he has are are different than mine. But I, I want to say that, that that that's huge value too. I do not just read things that I agree with. I think that's one of the worst things you can do. If all you're doing is try to do is to support your bias, or you know your, your prejudice or whatever it is, I don't think that's helpful. I like ideas that really challenge my thinking, and this is one book that has. Well, I'll throw in my own best read lately, which is a book by Atul Gawanda, who is a mm. physician and writer best known for The Checklist Manifesto. The book I recently read is called Being Mortal. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's about just what the title says. It's about being mortal human beings and helping people to think about medical care and the end of life, care for the elderly from a realistic perspective. Well, today we've learned that every leader can get more from reading by adopting these four purposes for reading, stimulation, assimilation, innovation, and dissemination. What final thoughts do you have today? First of all, that's an acronym. Wow. SAID. S-A-I-D. How sneaky of you. Yeah, yeah very nice, Michael. That in. But yeah, my final thought on this is that, again, reading is not so much about retention or comprehension. You know, if you can retain, if you can comprehend, great. But I really think you need a bigger purpose for reading. And I think it will free you up in ways that you can't know until you experience it, but allow you to read more books. This has also given me permission not to finish books. Now, dirty little secret, as someone who spent most of my career in the book publishing world, most books are not worth finishing. Most authors disseminate, to use one of our words, uh, everything they're going to say in the first couple of chapters, maybe the last chapter, but there's a lot of fluff built into a lot of books. Again, this is just sort of the commercial aspect of book publishing. Sometimes things that should have been an essay get pumped full of air and turned into a book. So I read as long as I'm stimulated and maybe a little bit longer, you know, because I don't want to just become somebody that's impulsive. I want to be able to discipline myself. But honestly, it's the author's job to keep me interested. If it doesn't keep me interested, I bail and go to something else. Because there are literally a million new books published every year. There's plenty to read from. So if it's not creating you know, this uh, stimulation, assimilation, innovation, and dissemination, I'm done. 
Well, if you're like me and you're you're thinking you're not reading as much as you want to, maybe you've been through an intense season of life or just kind of gotten out of the habit or something, I hope this episode is encouraging to you because there are ways to read, there are ways of thinking about reading that make it feel more doable and more rewarding. Um, and I, for one, am re-energized and excited about digging into my book list for this year. I'm re-energized about it too, Megan. And I also would like to start a new podcast called Read to Win. (laughs) What? And do this. How have we not thought of that? I think that might already exist. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for your insights today. Thank you, Larry. Thank you guys for joining us today. We'll see you right here next week. Until then, Lead to Win. the first purpose in reading. Yes, it is. You can delete that comment. (laughs) That was stupid. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm going to copy that and put it at the end of every session. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great idea.